around the church for a while, but the, the new church year officially begins today with the first Sunday of Advent, which means that as we begin the season of preparation for Christmas, we also uh, turn the page on another liturgical year. This time of year always puts me in a reflective mood, looking back on where we've been over the past 52 weeks, and as we all know, uh, it has been quite a year. This time last year, we were still in the depths of the pandemic. I know it's not over yet, but, but at this time last year, uh, no vaccines had been approved. People were still avoiding in-person gatherings with extended family, even for the holidays. I'm sure you remember that. We had very few people worshiping in person. We were still pre-recording all of our services. It was unclear when things would begin to return to normal, all of which means that at this time last year, uh, everything was full of anxiety and uncertainty. This year, things are returning to normal, thank God. Advent and Christmas will look more like what we're used to, or at least a lot closer to it than last year did. And so our Advent sermon series this year is called Comfort and Joy, as in tidings of comfort and joy from the beloved Christmas carol, uh, God rest you merry gentlemen. In a few weeks, the closing hymn for our fourth and final Sunday of Advent will be God rest you merry gentlemen. I love that carol. I'm excited to sing it. But for today, I've actually got in mind a different beloved Christmas carol. It came upon the midnight clear because it contains a verse that I've always found to be uh, particularly meaningful, especially especially so as we turn the page on the difficult year that's coming to a close. You know, uh, I am over the top. Uh, I don't dress like an angel quite, but I love this time of year. I'm super excited about Advent, all that. But, you know, for pastors, uh, for those of us who work in the church, we are um, acutely aware that for a lot of people, this is a difficult time of year. Um, for people who have lost loved ones in the past year or who have tough family stuff going on in general, it can be a challenging time of year. So this particular uh, Christmas carol, I think, speaks to that. And one of my favorite versions of the song is by the artist Nora Jones, who you, you may know. I'm usually hot and cold on Christmas carols by pop artists because oftentimes they only sing the first verse or sometimes the first two verses. They all too often leave out the most important theology in the song. You know, for example, Josh Groban, I love Josh Groban's voice. He's got a terrific Christmas album called Noel, and he sings one of my favorite, hint, well, it is not one of my favorite, it's my favorite Christmas carol, O Holy Night. But he leaves out some of the most powerful words in the song. He leaves out the entire first half of the third verse. He does not sing, truly he taught us to love one another. His law is love and his gospel is peace. How can you leave that out? <laughs> That's like the most important part of the song, but you know, Josh Groban doesn't know any better. And a lot of pop art, I mean, I guess I shouldn't be so hard on Josh Groban, but he didn't know enough to include it in his version of the song. And so normally when I'm listening to pop artists, I'm just waiting for what they leave out. Uh, but in her version of It Came Upon the Midnight Clear, Nora Jones sings all the way through that verse that I've always found to be particularly meaningful. It's a verse that begins this way, and you beneath life's crushing load, whose forms are bending low, who toil along the climbing way with painful steps and slow. Now, if you're kind of a Buddy the Elf person, and this time of year is always awesome, 
uh, that may not speak to you. But if you've gone through some stuff, particularly in the past year, that can be a meaningful verse. I think it's particularly relevant for the past 52 weeks. Um, I'm sure for many people, the past year has felt like that. Some of us have endured personal tragedies, personal struggles. Uh, God knows that all of us have been through a lot since this time last year. And the good news of the season that we begin today is that the theology of Advent offers us tidings of comfort and joy. At the heart of the Christian message, a a message that begins to unfold with the birth of Christ, is a reminder that we need at all times, for sure, but especially in challenging times, that, that no matter how dark or difficult the road may get, God is with us always. Throughout the season, we're going to be reading three beautiful and theologically rich passages from Luke's gospel. Uh, Luke's gospel is the lectionary gospel for the liturgical year that begins today. So for the next 52 weeks, we'll be in Luke a fair amount. And we're going to start it off right by beginning in the first chapter, uh, pretty early in the entire gospel. This is Luke chapter 1, verses 26 to 33. Listen, friends, for the word of God as it is proclaimed by God's servant, evangelist Luke. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a town in Galilee called Nazareth to a virgin engaged to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, greetings, favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was much perplexed by his words and pondered what sort of greeting this might be. The angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And now you will conceive in your womb and bear a son and you will name him Jesus. He will be great and he will be called the son of the most high and the Lord God will give to him the throne of his ancestor David. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever and of his kingdom there will be no end. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. In the Christian tradition, this event is known as uh, the Annunciation. It's one of the most depicted scenes in art from the New Testament. It's the announcement uh, to Mary that God is going to do an incredible thing in the world through her. Uh, This is Botticelli from the late 15th century. His depiction of this event hangs at the Metropolitan Museum of Art. Now, the angel Gabriel is one of the archangels in Jewish and Christian tradition, if I were to ask you to name an angel from the Bible, Gabriel might be the one that would come to mind. There aren't that many that are named, but Gabriel actually only appears in two books of the Bible, uh, in the book of Daniel in the Old Testament, and then only here in the first chapter of Luke where he appears twice. Uh, He appears to announce the birth of John the Baptist to John's father, Zechariah, and then a few verses later in our passage for today, he appears to Mary and he offers her some unexpected news. Now, you probably know Mary is young when Gabriel appears to her. She's probably around 13 years old or so. Uh, Luke tells her, uh, Luke tells us rather, that she is engaged. You may have heard the word betrothed in other translations to Joseph, but that she is not yet married. Now, in the first century, uh, betrothals were legal and binding. They were often arranged by a father when their uh, daughter was still a young girl. It would have been quite a scandal for Mary, who had most likely long been promised 
to Joseph to become pregnant before they were married. And it wouldn't have just been a scandal, it would have been dangerous for her to be pregnant. There's a great 2006 movie called The Nativity Story. It's pretty true to the story of, as it's told in the Gospels. Uh, but in, in this version, jo- uh, Joseph has a nightmare that Mary's being stoned as punishment for her unwed pregnancy. The nightmare portion of that is artistic license. No such nightmare is recorded in scripture, uh, but that scenario is true to the world as Mary would have experienced it. Hers was a patriarchal society. It was a society in which women in general had no rights, certainly not a young unmarried girl who was found to be pregnant, uh, not by her engaged partner. Mary's family was almost certainly poor, Before that, uh, they were, uh, beyond that rather, they were members of a religious and ethnic minority in the Roman Empire, and you probably know the Roman Empire did not have a whole lot of respect for those who were on the margins. What I love about the Nativity story is that it paints a very vivid picture of what Mary's life would have been like. And so this announcement from Gabriel, for a whole bunch of reasons, uh, would have put Mary in a very precarious position. We'll return to her story shortly. Back in 2010, our family moved to First United Methodist Church of Henrietta, Texas. Our district superintendent at the time, Reverend John Rosenberg, liked to have the district Christmas party uh, every year on a Friday night in early December. And it was a really nice event. It was well done. John is a terrific guy. But it was uh, on a Friday night. (laughs) It was in December. It was at a church an hour away from where we lived at the busiest time of the year. And not only that, this was my first advent in Henrietta. We did not have a single other full-time person on staff. We had a lot to do. You add to that the fact that our youngest son, Sam, was only three months old at the time. I did not know how to get to the church where the party was being held with our infant son and his four-year-old brother. I still had an advent sermon to finish for Sunday morning. I'm painting a picture here. Let's just say I was grumpy about having to go to this stinking Christmas party. (laughs) But it's not really an option for a preacher to miss the clergy Christmas party. You kind of have to go. And so Whitney and I uh, packed up the boys and off we went. Now John's tradition was to end the evening by reading a Christmas story that he had written himself. We had a very nice dinner We sang a few Christmas carols, which of course I love. And then John sat up on a big stage uh, next to a Christmas tree. He was in one of those high back chairs like maybe your grandpa used to sit in. Rosenberg was very close to retirement at the time. He is retired now. He's very grandfatherly. He's a very warm and pastoral presence. As I said, he is a great guy. But as he read the story, which as I recall was not brief, (laughs) I was trying not to look at my watch too many times. I was mindful of the drive that we still had back to Henrietta. I was anxiously mindful of the sermon that I still had to finish for Sunday morning. The story that he had written and read was good as I remember it. There was something about a West Texas town and an angel on a Christmas tree, Uh, but it was what John said at the end of the story that I'll always remember. And honestly, I have no idea uh, if this was the punchline of the story he had written or if he just looked out at the frazzled clergy checking their watches and looking anxious about when we were going to be able to go home. All of a sudden, he kind of clapped the book closed and he looked out at us 
And he said, cheer up, people. Christmas is coming. <laughs> and I felt like he was talking to me. I mean, I, I, honestly, I started to tear up a little bit <laughs> because I needed a reminder of the reason that I was doing all that work. I needed a reminder of the point of all the stress and the pressure. I'm sure you can relate at the holidays. There's a little bit of hustle, a little bit of bustle, right? It's busy. I needed a reminder uh, of why the season is important. Now, Mary, of course, had no idea what God had in store for the world, but she did realize that whatever God had in store, uh, God was going to do through her. And she responded with a faith uh, that I, I just think has the power to inspire us all. So let's finish the reading. This is Luke 1, 34 to 38. Listen again, friends, for God's word. Mary said to the angel, how can this be since I am a virgin? The angel said to her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be holy. He will be called Son of God. And now your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son, and this is the sixth month for her who was said to be barren, for nothing will be impossible with God. Then Mary said, Here am I, the servant of the Lord. Let it be with me according to your word. Then the angel departed from her. Amen. There's an artist named Frederick Shields, 19th century. That one's in the Manchester Art Gallery. Verse 3 of It Came Upon the Midnight Clear begins with these words, And you beneath life's crushing load, whose forms are bending low, who toil along the climbing way with painful steps, and slow. Life can feel like that sometimes, for sure. And we'd have forgiven Mary, of course, if she'd have taken Gabriel's annunciation as just one more burden in life's crushing load. She had a lot on her plate, after all. But there's a second half of that lyric. Look now, for glad and golden hours come swiftly on the wing. Oh, rest beside the weary road and hear the angels sing. <laughs> Reminds me of my old boss. Cheer up, people. Christmas is coming. Mary was the unlikeliest of heroes. She was a young, unwed, poor Jewish girl whose pregnancy could have been her undoing. She had no practical reason to be happy about Gabriel's message because happiness has everything to do with our external circumstances and her external circumstances were pretty tough. But God was going to make a way for joy to come into the world through her because joy is a theological concept that has very little to do with our circumstances and everything to do with God. And at the Annunciation, Mary realized that God was going to use her, the unlikeliest of heroes, to do God's work in the world. And her faithful and obedient and joy-filled response, I think, should be an inspiration to us all. Every morning in my morning prayers, I have this verse that I pray, Here am I, the servant of the Lord. 
let it be with me according to your word. And you know, here's the thing. Our specific call from God is obviously different than the one Mary received at the Annunciation, but God absolutely desires to work through every single one of us to reflect the light of God's love in a world that that desperately needs it, especially at the close of the year that's just ending. God calls each of us to be bearers of the gospel of God's Son. This is the season of tidings, of comfort, and of joy. And God, as it turns out, desires to work through us in our homes and in our church and in our community and in our world to bear the gospel of joy to a world where our good news has the power to meet humanity's greatest need. The question for each of us as we, as we turn the page on a new church year and begin the season of preparation for our holiest night, what I think is the very best night of the year, the question for us is whether or not we will have the faith and the obedience and the willingness to respond to God as Mary did, as this 13-year-old had to have been scared out of her wits girl did. Here am I, the servant of the Lord, let it be with me according to your word. I've told you several times about the trip that Whitney and I took with our church to the Holy Land back in in 2018. I actually mentioned it last week. And on that trip, I got to cross off the, the number one item on my life's bucket list. And if you know me at all, it will not surprise you that the number one item on my life's bucket list was to see the Church of the Nativity in Bethlehem. It was absolutely incredible. It did not disappoint. Highly recommend it if you can ever go. Going all the way halfway around the world is worth it just to see the Church of the Nativity. But I was totally surprised earlier in the trip by what I think is actually the most beautiful church that I've ever seen. It's the Church of the Annunciation in Nazareth. It's a huge complex, uh, and the first thing that you encounter when you enter the complex is this outer courtyard that has a series of depictions of Mary holding the baby Jesus. And the unique thing about that is on each one of these columns, there is a piece of art donated by a different country, and Mary and Jesus appear as the ethnicity of the country donating it. This one's Greece, I think. Yeah, Greece. Um, the one for Ireland was awesome, had shamrocks in it. <laughs> there were ones from China and from Ethiopia and from South America, I mean, all, all over, all over the world. And this, it's this beautiful reminder before you enter the Church of the Annunciation that we're all created in the image and likeness of God. This is the power of our theology of the Incarnation, that when God became a human being, it was for all of humanity in all of our glorious diversity. And then as you walk into the sanctuary, it looks like you're just walking into any other beautiful church. There are a huge number of beautiful churches in the Holy Land, as you might imagine. But as you approach the altar, you see this immense dome towering above you. I'm not sure, I didn't look it up. I'm not sure how big this dome is that towers above you. And you realize that the focal point of that architecture draws your attention to a staircase that leads down to a cave underneath the church. The cave where, according to tradition, Gabriel appeared to Mary. And that stunning architecture is incredibly effective. It was later that day we were gonna go to the Church of the Nativity. I was like a kid on Christmas. I couldn't wait to get to the Church of the Nativity. 
but as we walked down the staircase towards this simple little cave, I was actually, I was overcome with emotion. I was totally caught off guard as we descended from what is the grandeur of the church, this beautiful, gorgeous, vaulting architecture to the simplicity of the place where Gabriel appeared to Mary. Where Gabriel appeared to the one whom the church would come to know as the God-bearer. <laughs> to the one who, despite the precariousness of her circumstances and the unlikely fact that God chose her of all people, would receive the joyful news of the coming Messiah and bear that joy to a world that is all too often lost in sadness and difficulty. Which, of course, is exactly what we are called to do. Friends, the heart of the Christian message is a reminder that we need at all times, for sure, but especially, I would argue, in times like these, that no matter how dark or difficult the road may get, God is always, always with us. The tidings of this season, tidings of comfort and joy, are God's gift to us, for sure. But that's a gift that we are called and have the honor to share with the world. Thanks be to God. Amen.